on this episode of The Kinked Wire. So I'm originally for a third world country. When I moved to the United States, I couldn't believe all the resources are being wasted in America. And I feel that for the first time in America, we are learning that. We're learning that we have to be cautious about wasting resources. Welcome to The Kinked Wire, the interventional radiology podcast from SIR's IR Quarterly Magazine. You can learn more at our website, surweb.org slash kinkedwire. In this episode, which was recorded on May 1st, 2020, King Wire host Warren Krakow speaks with George Behrens, an interventional radiologist in Chicago, about the COVID-19 impact on his city, changes his practice has made in response, and how his native Venezuela has been faring during the pandemic. Well, thank you for being here. I really do appreciate it. I know that everybody's got so much on their plates right now with COVID, and I wanted to just first find out how you're doing with everything. How are things going for you? Well, actually, it's it's doing pretty well. Honestly, I, I think this COVID situation, it's, it's affecting me more the psychological standpoint than really physically. When you sit on the news and you start to see the panic is causing on the society and all the fact that you have to be social distancing, that people is afraid of being close to each other, that's more stressful than really what you got to do as a physician or taking care of yourself. Me and my family, we're all doing okay. Of course, you start to have people around you that test positive or they're sick from it or they have the cough. They're waiting for the result. And this is all the stress more than really what it is. That's, I think, a really important and valuable point for really all of us in healthcare, not just interventional radiologists or doctors, but anyone. And I'm really glad you brought it up that we all have to deal with the same as the whole world is dealing with, really. But at the same time, you're also, you know, having to go in and, and, you know, take care of patients and you or your coworkers or patients may, in fact, have COVID or become exposed to it. So you're right. I mean, I think that's the stress. And it sounds to me, too, like you've got a really good way of putting that in perspective that, you know, that's sort of the outside stress, but, you know, you've got to go in and really focus on your job. So that's great. I know you're you're in the, the Chicago area, which, you know, I think as somebody, you know, I don't live in the Chicago area. So for me as an outsider, it seemed like they were maybe a little later in the pandemic, though it sounds to me too, like they've been hit pretty hard. What's What's been your perspective on that? Yeah, sure, definitely. You know, when all this epidemic started, you know, we have one case here, one case there. And of course, the number of cases have been increasing. I think the lack of spread testing has been a big issue because we really don't know the real numbers around, but it's been increasing. And actually to the point right now where we are sort of flattening the curve, but we are not seeing the decrease of cases. It's essentially getting into a plateau where we still have the same number of cases, the same number of deaths. But not, not exactly the same, but close numbers to it. And it's been flat. So, of course, what biggest fear that we have is if the healthcare system is going to allow to take care of all the patients that really become sick. And um, in the news and uh, the governor and the healthcare authorities are essentially comfortable. I mean, at the beginning, when the pandemic started, everybody was afraid that we're not going to have enough ventilator. We're not going to have enough supplies. But it seems to me that we're stable right now. We, we have some hospitals where they have the ICU full of, of COVID patients. And we have other hospitals where they really don't have that many. Actually, my practice where we cover seven hospitals. Uh, some of the hospitals are in the south side of Chicago, other ones in the west side. So we have it in different counties. So when you see the numbers in the south side of Chicago, the numbers are extremely high. 
So you have a rate of 800 cases per 100,000 in the south of Chicago. And then in the west suburb, you have about 300 cases per 100,000 people. So you can see that difference. And of course, you know, the, the Chicago downtown area is more populated. It's more people there. But that difference, you can actually see when I go every day to work. So I go to a hospital where it's in the, the south side of Chicago, and you see that the half or two-thirds of the hospital is full of COVID. In the other side, it's just like any other regular day. Right. Yeah, it is really, really interesting. And again, I'm not, I'm not a Chicagoan, but... Yeah, my understanding too is that there are are certainly social economic disparities in Chicago, like there are everywhere, and uh, you know that the south side of Chicago is is structured differently than maybe the western side, and so I wonder too if some of what you're seeing is in Chicago is what is being reported nationwide in terms of those disparities. It definitely is. The population in the south of Chicago. The African-American population has been hit really hard from this. And uh, in the West side, you have a little more middle class and white people where they're not getting that sick from this. Right. It's that same argument of access to care at all stages leading to better outcomes, you know, with any disease process, but certainly with COVID. Do you think that the Chicago area sort of had the chance to learn from the Seattle's and the New York's of the world since it was slightly later. I mean, were you guys able to prepare in a way? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, we, we've been learning not only from the other side of the country. I mean, we're nominated for Seattle and New York. We've been learning from Italy, from Spain. I mean, ah. I, I had a, a lot of interventional radiology friends and other physicians that live in Spain and Italy. We've been learning quite a lot from them. I mean, like presentation of the disease, when they are talking about patients with, uh, they are pro-coagulant, uh, they've been developing PE and all the dialysis scattered clogged on it. And they've been developing protocols and the use of lovenox and anticoagulation on these patients. We've been learning this. And when we are encountered these patients here, say, so listen, this is what the people in Spain are doing. They're putting these patients on anticoagulation. And then you can actually see how we're starting to get the data locally in the United States. And then we all agree that that's sort of the pathway or the way to go. Yeah, that's also, I think, a, a really good point and, and really some emerging information coming out that, you know, certainly we all know uh, some of the classic COVID symptoms, but more and more, there does seem to be a real vascular component with hypercoagulability and so on and so forth, perhaps even particularly with younger patients. So are you changing or adjusting your practice patterns as an IR, you know, with those things in mind? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. As you can imagine, we, we've been doing procedures on, on all these patients and uh, like dialysis catheter and, and, and helping with the chest tube in some cases that they, they have biotrauma. And honestly, we sort of modify the, a little bit of the way that we've been doing it just to minimize the risk for transmitting the disease to our team. So, you know, for example, we've been uh, using a, a growing access for the temporary dialysis catheter with the idea that we are not working near to where the patient is breathing next to us. If the patient is not intubated, you don't know when the patient is going to be coughing and yep. you might be getting a little more exposed. So, of course, we're with all the protections and everything, but we are trying to minimize the risk or getting our the healthcare workers sick from it. You know? Sure. And then you had mentioned, too, that some of your colleagues in, in Spain and elsewhere were... I don't know, maybe using Lovenox and things like that more for, I don't know, for, for vascular prophylaxis. But are you but are you seeing more vascular cases in different patient populations, say younger patient populations and things like this, PEs, things like that, DVTs, than you might in a normal time period as, as a result of COVID? Yeah, absolutely. Patients that are being in ICU, they're developing these uh, PEs. 
and they are developing, you know, essentially like a DIC sort of pattern. And mm-hmm. uh, we are asking the nephrologists and the ICU team that, please, let's give them Lovenox in a way that we can avoid having problems with the catheters. And actually, even the techniques that we've been using, we put in a longer dialysis catheter in the groin with the idea that they are close to the heart. And, you know, at the bedside with the idea that we are minimizing transporting the patients and getting the best results that, that we think can get doing a growing accesses. So with that, are you seeing a, an overall shift in your either the type of case that you've been doing since COVID or the volume of cases that your section's been doing? Well, the volume definitely is in one end is decreasing because of the electives has been deferred for after the COVID pandemic. We have patients that need to be rescheduled for, let's say, uh, elective procedures. So a patient uh-huh. with an, an angiogram for claudication, we're being rescheduled in because it's not an emergency. Of course, all the patients that are requiring treatment, let's say, for cancer or for limb is- acute limb ischemia, that they really require treatment in a way for limb salvage, we're still doing those. But, mm-hmm. you know, certain group of patients are being decreasing. And, of course, we're seeing a higher number of dialysis and a higher number of consults and MPs. But we are going towards more like the standard care. We're not going more like uh, too invasive on it. So the number of patients that we intervene, let's say in PE, it's been pretty much the same, despite that we're getting more consult on it. But we're treating more with uh, anticoagulation and stuff like that, rather than invasive techniques such as like thrombectomy or lytics or, okay. you know. Got it. And it sounds like you're covering, I think you said seven hospitals, your group. So do you feel that, from the perspective of what you need as an interventional radiologist or even just as a provider at these hospitals, are you getting the support and getting the material you need from the hospitals? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Despite what the media is saying that we don't have the enough PPE material, masks and gowns, I have not seen any day that okay. we are missing any of that. Truly That's speaking. really good to hear. Okay. That's excellent. And you're, you know, you've got a broad cross section of hospitals there in Chicago. So you've got a good sample there, it sounds like. Do you also think that your state, local, and even the federal government are giving, you know, good leadership and guidance and support for you? Yes, absolutely. I, I think uh, each hospital has been developing a, a lead team. So they're following the guidelines from the state. And uh, each lead team are being really good communicating all the changes and all the things that they, they want us to do in a way that we can protect and save material and save resources for the most needed patients. And also, we learn to be a little more conscious about the use of material. I'm Hispanic. I'm Venezuelan. So I'm originally for a third world country. When I, when I moved to United State, I couldn't believe all the resources are being wasted in America. So, for example, you were open a stand and say, oh, listen, you know what? This is not the stand that I need. Just toss it to the garbage. Or let's say, well, I'm going to use an extra pair of gloves. I'll take the gloves, get a new one in and change all that. At the beginning, when I moved to America, I felt that that was a waste of resources. And I feel that for the first time, in America, we are learning that. We are learning that we have to be cautious about wasting resources. And that's an important learning point there for all of us and for the society, because there is no point to be using 25 N95 masks when you can just essentially put it aside and put it back on you and, and continue using it. I think you bring a really valuable perspective to this issue because of the background that you just explained. Um, you know, for some folks who've sort of grown up in the U.S. healthcare system, 
there certainly are uh, a lot of examples of uh, waste. And, you know, there certainly is a, a dollar amount uh, attached to that. And I think your experience certainly sounds like it was very different uh, from before you came here. And uh, I, I agree. I think everybody's eyes are being opened. I mean, I know, um, you know, before COVID, if I said, I, I'm just going to wear the same mask all day, I think the administrators in my <laughs> institution would say, well, well, hold on a minute. I don't know about that. And yet uh, now we're, everyone's asking us to do that. So I, I think that's a, a really good insight uh, that you are shining a spotlight on for all of us that, um, you know, maybe something that we'll all be reexamining, you know, in the aftermath of COVID. And hopefully some of the changes stay, though, because there's no reason to waste all these resources, and honestly, to be more conscious about the, the cost of the healthcare system. If we can say something good will come of the COVID situation, that might be something good. So do you feel like, I know you've mentioned that there's been a, a bit of a plateau now in Chicago. Do you get a sense that things are finally starting to, to turn around a little bit or not quite yet? Or, or what is your feeling? I don't think we're quite yet there. I think it's going to be a plateau and it's going to stay like this. Hopefully, we don't see an increase numbers again. You know, finally, we're getting the numbers of tests that we need to start to expand the testing more broad in a way that we can understand how many people is really getting this virus or how much of this is around. And I don't know how long it's going to be. So honestly, we're in the time frame where we have to continue doing what we're doing. And hopefully when we start to see the numbers going down, it's when we are going to all breathe and say, well, finally, I think it's having under control. But I don't think we're mm -hmm. there yet. I think right. we're going to have at least two or three weeks where we're going to still see the same number of cases and admissions and ventilation needs and, and all that. Yeah, you know, I, I hear that from a lot of people all over the country, but, you know, hopefully it, it goes much more quickly than that. I'm curious, too, though, with your experience from Venezuela, are you in touch with either IRs or other physicians in Venezuela now? And if so, what is their experience like there dealing with COVID? The government over there, it's been a little more extreme than in America, to the point that you are essentially in obligated quarantine. If the police see you outside of your house, they're going to arrest you. They're going to essentially ask you where you are out of your house, where are you going? And then essentially it's going to send you back home. My mom still lives there and uh, in the grocery store. No more than 10 persons to go to the grocery store at a time. Hmm. So you have to be waiting in a line outside with gloves and mask. Even before the United States started to put in this as a, as a recommendation, and they let the people going into the grocery store 10 at a time. So, and I apologize for my ignorance, how is the COVID situation there, given that they have, it sounds like, far more restrictive patterns, you know, or practices in place? How is COVID in Venezuela? It's unknown. You can't trust the government. So essentially, you don't know really how many cases are there. Okay. So we know because I have a significant amount of friends there that are in the healthcare system as a foreign graduate medical student. So I, I went to med school over there. So all my families and friends who work in the hospital, they say they're seeing a lot of patients and the mortality is high there. However, they are not that report of numbers. So we really don't know how much or what is the impact in, in the society. We don't know how many deaths are, are there so far from this. Understood. As we start to close things out here, you know, all of us were really taken uh, by surprise by COVID. So I want to ask you from your experience, looking at the next pandemic, 
whatever that's going to be. We don't know anything about it. Hopefully there never will be one. But unfortunately, I, you know, looking at the next pandemic, what would you like to see put in place now that will help us prepare for whatever's coming down the line? Honestly, I will have the expert guiding the actions because it seems to me it's been confusing. You know, we have two messages. We have the White House saying a message and then the, the expert giving a different message. So you have a conflict information. I'm a physician, so I trust, of course, the, the, the physicians and, and the, the medical community. But it's been confusing. In me as a physician, if it's confusing to me, I cannot even imagine to a non-healthcare worker going around and say, what do you want me to do? What guide me to it? How how you want me to live or going through that? And I feel this is how we should be prepared for Create a group of physicians, experts that can say what need to be done, what to expect from the people, what to expect from the healthcare system, have a unified plan on the healthcare. So I think there are so many different variables that make the people more confused and the panic increases. So if we are unified and we have the experts trying to tell you what the expectation from the general public is going to be and from the physicians or the healthcare workers, what are they going to do? I think we're going to be able to handle this better. That was George Behrens talking about his experience with the pandemic. We thank Dr. Behrens for his time and you for listening to The Kink Wire. Our host is Dr. Warren Krakow. Our editor is Dr. Jamin Shaw. Our production manager is Dr. Jason Fisher. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any thoughts or ideas for us, drop us a line. IRQ at sirweb.org.